So Dave, I still struggle with the image of you on a motorcycle. I'll be honest with that. I, I, it seems it's, it's incongruous to me. It probably, maybe it doesn't surprise you to learn that. So would you like a picture of me on a motorcycle? I don't know why you have to even ask. Of course yeah. I want to see that. Great. It's, it's in your inbox. Okay. Let me, all right. Hmm. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah. so you, you were on a motorcycle. Uh, this all, while I was off gallivanting with uh, Jason Hibbets in the last episode, you were having a motorcycle adventure. Yeah, I took a day off last week. Very nice. <laughs> and, and, you, and, you, and you spent the day terrorizing beach towns. Uh, no. Oh, no. oh, all right. Nope, nope. And in my uh, hometown, there's an annual motorcycle rally called Thunder in the Valley in uh, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And uh, so I always go there, stay at my parents' house, and they spoil me, and I ride motorcycles and hang out with uh, childhood friends and everything, so it's a great time. How cool. All right, so, yeah. so is that, I, I, having never been to a motorcycle rally, what does that involve? Is it just everyone drives around together, or it, what, how is it structured? Yeah, well, there's all kind of things going on, and, and I think it all depends on the event. So this one's run by the you know, Chamber of Commerce or whatever, so it's it's very that part of town is very tame. So the really slick thing is, and you'll see it in the picture, is that um, they will shut down Main Street uh, only to motorcycles. And so it's free parking everywhere for motorcycles. And you just look down Main Street and it's just, uh, it's awesome. Just, you know, just motorcycles all over the place. And, and loud, and, right? Yeah, it's loud. It's loud. And then... <laughs> And then, and, and so there's like vendors that, at, at, you know, selling shirts and, you know, leather chaps that I don't have and, uh, <laughs> nor do I want But interesting, interesting that you brought it up though. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, food vendors and, and stuff like that. And then they'll have bands like, uh, probably one of your favorite bands, Molly Hatchet was there. Sure. Uh, they, yeah, free free concert. They were, they were flirting with disaster that Saturday night. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then there are other parts of town that have uh, that, that that's like the uh, uh, places that have other sorts of events. That's it's the tougher crowd with with uh, the, the hardcore motorcyclists go to um, drink beverages and 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 um, have have a really good time and, and collect uh, misdemeanors yeah collect uh, we're felonies and, <laughs> and and in this day and age with all the cell phone cameras and stuff it's like uh, yeah i don't want to be associated with uh some of the contests that they have there so sure sure so so uh what was uh what was young lauren doing while you were off being a uh, candidate organ donor well before before i do that before we talk about that i got to see a motorcycle explode Ooh. Cool. Yeah. Is there is there video? Yes. Yeah. We'll we'll put awesome. that in the show notes. Um, awesome. Where it's like I'm just like walking down the street and, and each you know one of the other parts of, of Thunder and the Valleys they'll have the the vendors there that are the motorcycle manufacturers are there so they'll have demo rides for you know the different makes and models and uh, one of them was there is Canam they do like these trikes that are like two wheels in the front and one in the back. Oh right. And yeah. I'm like just walking down the street and I'm like uh, oh motorcycles on fire in, in their in their exhibit area and uh, and then I saw like the police run up and they're like getting it with the fire extinguisher and it wouldn't go out and then it just like burst into flames and, and like you'll see in the video about one minute in like the gas tank caught fire and, and exploded and you'll see these flames shoot up in the air and uh, and I'm just like thinking you know, there are a lot of like knuckleheads that are like, "Oh, I'm gonna get really close. I'm gonna put this on Facebook and you know, taking pictures and stuff." And I'm thinking, this is an exploding motorcycle. Um, <laughs> and, and not to mention, like after what happened in Boston, a uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and everything, it's like, I, you know, I was starting to get a little nervous. Um, so, right. yeah, yeah. So, it, so anyhow, that that happened. But, uh, but yeah, while well, I was the, the in the meantime, uh, yeah, Lauren was was working at the. Uh, the makerspace up at up at Case Western at uh, Thinkbox, and mm -hmm. uh, she, you know, I was talking to her about her day and everything, and, and she was, as my wife called it, was was uh, wearing uh, geek chic uh, <laughs> that, that day. Where she was she was wearing uh, bright red jeans and her Star Trek shirt. Oh, nice! Star Trek T-shirt, and yeah. uh, and uh, people, I said, oh, well, 
what do people think of your shirt? Uh, you know, because it's a lab space, so people aren't, you know, it's very informal. And, uh, well, people people were saying, uh, oh, yeah, cool shirt, cool shirt. And I said, oh, you should have said, uh, you should have told them to live long and prosper. And uh, she's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> well, like, yeah. well, yeah, Dad. Of course, I did. What kind of what kind of question yeah, is that? Yeah, right. And so that was that was uh, proud, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Yeah. So, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm settling into the new home, and uh, uh, actually, so I changed my rig on my desk a little bit. Um, uh, I actually now have two laptops set up on my desk, one to my right, and one to my left. You know, so I can type in parallel. Cause right. I'm, you know, cause I'm so efficient and, uh, attached a KVM so I can switch between the two laptops as I'm working. And I put my monitor in the center of the desk and in hooking it up, I realized, uh, wait, the, the, the resolution was wrong or the color was muddy or something. And so I started screwing at the resolutions a little bit and did a little bit of Googling on the, this monitor, which I've owned for, oh, I'd say five, six, seven years and, uh, realized that. In all those years, I have never actually put this monitor into the full resolution it's capable of. Wow. So I've actually been struggling <clears throat> using, you know, 1024 by 768 like an animal right. when I could have had 1440 by 900 available to me the entire time. Wow. So is that like a LC flat panel or a CRT? Yeah, yeah it's a flat panel. Okay. Um, and so, which is quote unquote HD, whatever that means, um, for a computer right. monitor, you know, uh, but yeah, it's lovely. I got all this real estate now. It's, it's nice. fantastic. Yeah. It's really what nice. are you doing with it all? I'm, uh, actually, you know, it's the, the irony of this is, is I, <laughs> I use all my applications maximized anyway. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, really, it's, yeah. yeah, all it means is that I can see, <clears throat> I could just see like more emails at a time. Right. That's, that's really that's all it does. Yeah. But it makes me feel better to know that I'm fully exploiting the capability of the hardware that I own. Yep. Yeah. You're getting your money's worth. I'm getting my money's worth. Albeit seven years late. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, now that we're fully oriented, we're running at full resolution. Uh, no motorcycles have exploded. And Lauren's geek cred is intact. What do you say we get started? Yeah. What's on tap? Um, well, let's see. We got... Uh, uh, I started smoking these funny cigarettes. Which ever I since you moved to Austin, ever since yeah. I, I knew it was coming, you're, you're <laughs> falling into that that culture there. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then we got a, a bunch of OpenShift news. Uh, some of it really exciting. Um, we're going to talk even more about motorcycles, right? Mm -hmm. um, let's see. We're going to talk about hacking my house. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, and one one I'm really excited about talking about, and we'll do this towards the end of the show. End of the show is uh, how to ask for help. Uh, and yes. how to and and more importantly, maybe how to receive help like a gentleman. Right. Um, I feel like that's. I'm actually excited to talk to you about this because I feel like you're really good at it, and I want to. I want to find out how you got so good at it. Um, all right. So in the meantime, uh, folks want to see an exploding motorcycle, but more importantly, maybe see uh, you on a motorcycle. Well, yes. Where do they, Where do they go to see something like that? Well, they they have to go to uh, dgshow.org. So it's D's and Dave. Jesusandgunnershow.org, and and right. also the cutting room floor is there too. What what, what fell on the cutting room floor this time? Uh, this one. So Dave, I don't know if you, <laughs> I know that both of us use uh, agency icons, like the 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 official seal of government agencies. We use them in our presentations all the time, right? Yeah, cakes. And, cakes. Yep, yep. And one of the worst things about this is that the the icons are never quite the size you want them to be. And so yeah. you always have to like scale them and they always look janky. And so you yeah. don't want to go to an agency and talk to an agency and have the agency icon look like all pixelated and stuff. So, uh, some dude did a bunch of vector agency graphics and threw them up on GitHub. Uh, so that's super cool and super exciting if you're us. And anyway, that's on the cutting room floor. Um, yeah. that would be good for the tattoos if you Oh, that would be good. Yeah, for the because fidelity is really important on a tattoo. You don't want to. You don't want to yeah. muddy. You don't want aliasing. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I can imagine somebody getting a tattoo of like, you know, census or like commerce. And then, well, first of all, that's funny. But then, but then to have it like pixelated because they printed it out wrong. <laughs> that would be terrible. All right. Anyway, all right. We're already punchy, and we're not even like 
10 minutes into the show. Um, Dave, what's new with Raspberry Pis? Give me the lowdown. Okay. Yeah, I, I found somebody did a project for a solar-powered Raspberry Pi. Cool. That's awesome. Um, were they, did they present any proposed uses for this? Like, where would you need a solar-powered Raspberry Pi? Probably where you don't have electricity. But Oh, right. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. But yeah. I take it camping. Like, how are you going to do scratch in a tent if you don't have, you know? So true. So yeah. true. Oh, that's really interesting. Or maybe I can imagine it also, um, like, if you have to, uh, oh, a car would be perfect. You don't have to go mucking around and, like, plugging it into the car battery. You can just mount it in the windshield or whatever, right? Yeah. 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 Why waste time with that cigarette adapter? Um, <laughs> right. But, but seriously, though, I, the thing that I thought was Im- impressive about that is it, it reminds me of, of things like with ARM-based computing of how it's, you know, the risk instruction set allows you to have a really small chip, which means that it draws very little power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my Raspberry Pi, yours, it runs off of a, a cell phone charger, so it needs like 700 milliamps uh, to work. Um, so, you know, you could put it in a bicycle um, or use a solar panel or, um, you know, a, a cell phone battery, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that it's going to be very interesting where you think about the maker movement and all that and all, all the uses that will come out of that, but also for, you know, public sector use cases or, or like tactical vehicles that are just crammed with computers that take up a lot of space, they consume a lot of power, they, you need to have something cool it which needs more power and, and everything. This, this you know, I, I'm, I'm really, it, to me, it, it excites me as far as uh, the promise that it shows for to be able to do general purpose computing on something that consumes such little power. So do you think, especially I'm thinking about the tactical deployments um, mm-hmm. or these uh, kind of mobile applications, do you imagine that it will actually reduce the power requirements or are you going to have to, like one individual ARM-based server will reduce your power requirements, but in order to do something useful, you actually want 2,000 of them, right? Um, mm-hmm. In other words, like, are we... Is the limiting factor the amount of compute power you've got, or is the limiting power the amount of power that you can draw? So, I mean, these guys already have car batteries or whatever they use for a power plant um, mm-hmm. already set up. So when we talk about reducing the power consumption for, for one server, are we really just talking about being able to put a lot more compute power inside a, uh, inside a vehicle or, or on a bicycle or whatever? Well, I think it depends a lot on the application. So it's mm-hmm. like if you're trying to do high-performance computing, well, yeah, mm-hmm. you're probably going to need a lot of ARM processors to make up for, say, like one mm-hmm. new-age x86 processor. But the other side of it is that think about how people have an ARM processor in their tablet and are doing all kind of cool video games on it. Uh, you know, you know, like so, like think Google Earth type applications that you're using out. You know, in a tactical vehicle, where maybe a couple of years ago that you had to have an x86 box that had to have a, a heavy-duty, um, you know, NVIDIA graphics card in it. That you know, that's going to also suck a lot of power and throw a lot of heat. Where now that you know, the NVIDIA chips or you know, GPUs that are right on, you know, uh, alongside your ARM processor that that is basically cell phone uh, power draw. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that it really depends on the use case, right. and also. You know, think about too how uh, a lot of these applications may not use a full x86 processor, and they they have many computers because of classification needs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've we've done a lot of work as far as using uh, you know uh, multi-level security and and effort uh, to to separate things within a system, but. I think you could also just have separate physical boxes that are low power just doing little simple things. Oh, right. I never thought about that. Right. It becomes really cheap to do air gaps um, mm-hmm. in a way that it's kind of complicated and expensive to do, uh, you know, to, well, say, uh, like regular air gapping with these large expensive boxes. Um, air gapping. Oh, that's really, I, that it never occurred to me. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I imagine also it's going to encourage, I'm actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I, it's got to encourage modularity in system design too, right? Because um, you're not, you don't have like two pizza boxes or four pizza boxes in in a vehicle, right? Um, you have, say, 500 tiny little ARM servers in it, um, each one performing, presumably performing a discrete task. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so 
I can kind of envision that being a that would be a lot more conducive to a more pluggable system architecture. So if I don't need to run this geospatial app, I can just take the geospatial ARM servers out. Um, yep. Whereas even if I took the geospatial application out, I would still have to ride these like four pizza boxes and power them and cool them and, and everything else. Interesting. Yeah, and also think about resilience as well, where you know the, mm. the you think about these data center ARM-based things where you have a, a whole tray of these ARM cartridges stuck in like a couple U box where you know you only you know the service guy doesn't go in when one of them fails; they go in when a certain percentage of them fail. And right. and I think that that's also maps really well to the tactical use where oh well these you know these little arm boards got shot literally and and you know <laughs> but the mission can still continue because you almost in like a raid configuration of arm processors you could you could basically over provision and mm-hmm. have that resilience and let another little arm uh, module take over the workload if if one of them fails which is highly likely. Yeah, right. It's interesting because, the again, I go back to how that affects a developer of one of these systems because they have to suddenly start thinking the way that Netflix thinks or the way that yep. Google thinks when they deploy these apps instead of, you know, traditionally it's, you know, the waterfall development and um, everything is kind of highly regimented and you're planning out for every contingency and it requires like a bunch of belt and suspenders. But when you start treating your servers as disposable, um, you tend to get more modularity, but you also get more agile, right? Because uh, yeah. you can you can change your mind quicker. Um, oh, interesting. That's going to be all right. Let's put a, let's put a pin in that. We had to, maybe we should, we had to talk about that more maybe in a later show. Um, yes. Okay. Cool. Um, speaking of Google, uh, you saw Ray Kurzweil. Uh, yeah. You've had so famous futurist predictor of things. Um, you found this quote from him. What was it? Yeah, I actually met him uh, personally a, a couple of years ago. I got my picture oh, and all that. So he was presenting at some conference. But th- but that was before he got hired on as at Google as their I don't know chief scientist or one of their futurists that you know thinking about big things. And you know, he's a big fan of the singularity. Where um, if you if you plot out Moore's law from you know the dawn of time to you know now. Um, you know, he predicts, I don't know, like 2030 or, or, or things like that where human in, uh, computers will surpass human intelligence. And that's what he's calling the singularity um, where, you know, we could possibly be obsolete. And uh, according to this article, he was saying that we'll be uploading our entire minds to computers by 2045 and our bodies will be replaced by machines in 90 years. Okay. Only if he goes first. Yeah, but but I, you know, and I, I I thought about stuff like this, and you know, the thing that that now that he's from Google, that context, I, I don't know, if, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Super or, creepy, right? Super creepy. Yeah, um. think of AdWords. <laughs> you know, you they're reading your email, and, and you're uncomfortable with them reading your email. Think of them reading your mind and and having you know relevant ads that are you know. And can you get Adblock Plus for, I don't know. And, and I'll go, well, actually, I'll go even further than that. I think he says, you know, you upload your mind to, quote, unquote, to computers. Um, almost certainly what he means is not computers that are mine, computers that are owned by somebody else. Yes. Um, which is, I mean, I don't even know where to start complaining about that setup. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. It seems like a terrible idea. And, 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 to the extent that you know you're, uh, and now we're well into sci-fi territory. But you think about how your existence is going to change if you've moved your mind into uh, into a machine um, and basically abdicated your control of the physical world to someone else's equipment, right? Yeah. Um, then, I mean, we talk about vendor lock-in. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Well, think of uh, yeah. So what? brand of, you know, think about like a brand or a company, you would, you know, go all in, you know, would you stick it in Facebook? Would you stick it in Dropbox? Would you stick it in Google? Right. You know, well, it, so, that, so here, be, well, so here's the, this, now the race is on, right? Because uh, now companies have to be building their brand to the point where they're going to be trustworthy enough in 2045 
for you to want to literally upload your mind into their servers, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I thought about that and I'm like, well, I'm going to open my, I'm going to upload my mind into OpenShift. But, uh-huh. but then I thought, I don't want to be confined by an SE Linux container. <laughs> Dave, Dave, I don't think you can be confined by an SE Linux container. Your your mind is that powerful. I don't know. SE Linux is pretty good, though. I, I like it a lot. But I don't know <laughs> if I want to be that, that confined. <laughs> at, least, at least I'd want to be system high. Right, right, right. Exactly. Um, oh, that's right. Oh, no, I didn't even think about that. Like, you have to segment... I mean, you want to talk about a uh, like a cast system, right? So Dave goes in at system high, and uh, knowing my luck, I go in at not even like, not even top secret. Like I'm going to go in as like sensitive, right? Yeah. Um, and so I won't be able to see anything you're doing, but you'll be able to see everything that I'm doing. And I it's won't raw... be able to tell you that I see what you're doing. That's right. Well, no, it's a raw this deal. Podcast would be really awkward then. I hate the singularity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> So All that's right. a good thing. You know, we need to have people tell us in the comments where they want to be uploaded to. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, we should set up a poll. <laughs> so, who's, <laughs> who's in the running? Um, See, so, you know, I got okay. So I have a different set of security concerns now. Um, uh, so I had a. I, I ran across this article. Uh, so Dave, we were talking earlier about my home automation system. Yeah. And. Uh, I just ran across at a black, I think, I think it was Black Hat, which is going on this week. Uh, somebody announced that uh, the wireless control system uh, that my home automation system uses uh, can actually, yes, indeed, be hacked. Um, mm. And so he's, he, this guy claims to be able to, uh, be able to uh, basically log into the control panel, uh, be able to change any settings he wants, uh, arm, disarm doors, uh, change thermostats, and obviously, depending on how many sensors and what you've instrumented in the house, he can actually have total control over it. Wow. So, so I'm sleeping like a baby now. Uh, I, <laughs> I, and I don't know. And again, this is a, you know, of course, this is like a home alarm system. So it's pretty proprietary and definitely closed. Um, so I don't have any way of, of fixing the problem except like literally unplugging my alarm system. Um, yeah. I have no way of, of remediating this problem. Um, and if anybody's got any suggestions, uh, send them to me in the show notes. Uh, but for right now, I just feel like I'm, I'm walking around with a target on my back. Some, yeah. dude drives, some dude drives by on the street with a, with a strong Wi-Fi connection, and suddenly I'm ruined. Yeah. So what, what, we could put your address in the show notes if people want to help. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. 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 Well, and I, I think, too, that you know, this... Whether it's home automation or credit cards, and you know, to me, it's their business goal is more about um, convenience, over, and then security is secondary. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, so it's like your, your credit card gets compromised, and oh, no problem, you know, we'll in, we'll insure it, and um, you know, we'll sign you up for some credit watch program. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and and people are willing to take that risk and and play, you know go with that bet and I think that the home security things are uh, or home automation things uh, not necessarily security but home automation I do you think that would be similar where the the focus is on convenience and coolness yeah no I think that I think that is true but also I think uh, you know I was listening to uh, Jim Stogdall's excellent uh, podcast over at O'Reilly Radar and uh, they're, t- they're talking a lot about the internet of things um, yep. and how and kind of what what that actually is is like the commercialization of these control systems um, or the democratization of these control systems. So I can use an Arduino or a Raspberry Pi uh, to control this stuff that uh, in the in the past I would have to use this like purpose built proprietary you know black box uh, you know controller device. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the so the democratization of that stuff, uh, which of course which is code for you know the increased use of like commodity hardware and open source software. Um, to do some of this work, I think will actually improve the security of the systems overall, right? Because uh, most of the software has been knocked on for knocked on for years, um, and I think there's another force going on here in the from the other direction, which is you know famously all these SCADA systems that get hacked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. These uh you know the Stuxnet and these viruses that are now infecting industrial systems. Uh, I was talking to one of our guys, one of our Red Hat guys who will work with uh, those 
those, those kinds of co the companies that make that stuff. And he was saying that these security concerns are actually drawing them towards open source and Linux and because that stuff is proven, because the stuff has been hardened. It, it is, you know, it grew up on the internet. So uh, it has the security measures that they need in a way that uh, this kind of legacy uh, industrial control software doesn't um, mm -hmm. because it grew up not connected to a network. Um, and it's probably, you know, the same code's probably been running for 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just interesting to see these kind of dynamics, these, these kind of shifting, these, uh, yeah, these shifting dynamics. Nice. Yeah, interesting. Uh, let's see. What else we got here? Oh, you've been watching the... We get some news out of the UK, right? Yep, yep. So um, I know uh, our listeners were probably a couple episodes ago. You you were uh, really pleased with the UK's uh, government service design manual in terms of how beautiful and elegant it was and how it gave a preference to open source. But then they just recently quietly softened that wording, um, uh, talking about uh, having a level playing field where instead of giving preference to open source, um, uh, it sort of toned that down a little bit. Interesting. Was, was there like a, an errata? Like, did they say why the language, or did they just kind of quietly change it? No, uh, they just slipped it in, as, hmm. as far as I could tell. And yeah. I have a, a link to the article for the show okay. notes, people can check it out. But, but that re reminded me of... Uh, uh, Gunner's Law of Software Policy. <laughs> I, I, I'm not familiar with Gunner's Law of Software Policy. What, what is that law? Well, if you have a software policy that is for open source, and if you remove the word open source from the policy, it's a generally good policy across the board. Oh, I see. So, so, that, uh, so that if you have a policy that talks about open source, uh, mm -hmm. what you actually want to be writing instead is just a plain vanilla software policy because any rules yes. you would want to put in place for open source you also want to have in place for all the other software that you use yes i see that guy gunner is really smart yeah 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 huh cool yeah, we should get him on the show sometime oh that's a really good idea yeah we ought to do more interviews yeah so yeah. How, how do you how do people get laws named after themselves i don't know how that works um, I think they get three to four to a hundred friends together, and they have they ask those friends to go make them a Wikipedia page. Like, I think like, that's I, I think that's how it gets created. Okay, we'll give Matt Mycenae an action item. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, he, he would do that too. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. so Dave, yeah. he he would do it. He's a really nice guy. Hi Matt. Um, yeah. Do you have a do you have a favorite uh, do you have a favorite law, Dave? Yeah, so I I, I have many of them, but um, one of the ones that I saw recently, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, is uh, Hostadter's law. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's um, it 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 goes as follows: uh, it always takes longer than you expect, even when you take into account Hostadter's law. Oh, recursion! I like I it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Any law that has recursion in it, that's that's. <laughs> that's right that's like red meat uh good um also this is uh we got some late breaking news here uh dissa just released a massive rfp for cloud uh yeah. something like 450 million dollars wow what's what's that about uh well so so dissa as you know uh is the kind of shared services organization for dod um they they kind of yeah, they're, let's call them a central IT organization. Um, and these guys are trying to stand up a kind of a shared cloud infrastructure uh, for the whole DoD, um, which is super intimidating. Um, and it's interesting, actually, to compare the size of this RFP to the size of that CIA RFP that went out, uh, mm -hmm. uh, what I guess uh, quite a few months ago now. Um, that was like $600 million. Uh, mm -hmm. So I guess... DISA is doing something similar, or at least on a like a similar order of magnitude, so four hundred fifty million dollars. It'd be interesting to see how each of them do, um, yeah. given given budgets of that size, because uh, that's man, that, that's really big. That's it's like intimidatingly large. Yeah, I, I wonder if they're reusing stuff from other like CIA's RFP. In oh, terms that's of interesting. Yeah. measurements and you know it, to, to invent something completely in oh in your own silo. Hopefully, reuse is being done. 
Yeah, yeah. Although it would not surprise either of us if if there was no reuse. Um, yeah. I think it is the DoD after all. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, speaking of clouds, and uh, reuse. you want and reuse. You want to you want to tell me about a partner you like? Yeah, yeah. Autonomic Resources. I love those guys. Yep. I love them. Yeah, you you can't say autonomic resources and and, and without having FedRAMP in the same sentence, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right, because they were the first uh, GSA-approved cloud provider to uh, to get a successful FedRAMP authorization. Yeah, yeah. And, but why? And, uh, okay, go ahead. And, and so, the, and so the, brand, the latest news is uh, they Red Hat's enterprise virtualization platform is now included in their FedRAMP authorization, yep. which is super cool. Um, so that means that if you are an agency and you are interested in uh, letting Autonomic uh, host your uh, your Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization Cloud uh, or Infrastructure as a Service system, uh, you may do so. Um, and it is already approved under the FedRAMP rules. Yeah. Yeah, I wish someday they'll, they'll do the same thing for OpenShift. Oh, Dave, I got some great news for you. What happened? I got some they are standing up uh, an OpenShift based platform as a service. Uh, no and it will, it, it's true. It's true. Um, and in fact, we'll include a link to that uh, in the show notes as well. Nice. Where's my credit card? <laughs> That's awesome. So that, it is awesome. So nice work, Autonomic Resource. And you know, um, I'm also excited about that because uh, it means uh, in, in more success in the open sh- in OpenShift as a platform, right? So mm-hmm. we've got our own OpenShift Online, uh, which is now both a free and a paid tier, right? That we announced over at Summit last two weeks ago. Um, and then you've got folks can actually run OpenShift uh, on premise with OpenShift uh, with OpenShift Enterprise. Uh, and now we've actually got these OpenShift providers like Autonomic Resources popping up, um, which means that I would be able to take an application that I wrote on OpenShift Online. I can take it and go run it on OpenShift Enterprise. And if uh, if I don't want to run it on premise on OpenShift Enterprise, I can go move it to an OpenShift uh, partner, um, mm-hmm. which is super super cool. Um, and uh, addresses our big worry about uh, about lock-in. Um, so once I'm able to uh, take uh, all of my mind grapes and digitize them and put them into an OpenShift cartridge, um, I should be able to host them wherever I like. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. So cool. Uh, do you want to? So and there was some other good OpenShift news too, right? Yeah. 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 So there is a on GigaOM. Uh, we saw a nice video of. Uh, um, uh, uh, was it this CTO or I, I don't know uh, a big executive from PayPal? It's mm-hmm. he, he's he's talking about uh, OpenShift on OpenStack. Yeah. So the, so and I'm the reason I was super excited about that is because we knew that PayPal was using OpenShift, but we couldn't talk about it, right? Because uh, yeah. you know we don't want to talk about what customers are doing unless the customer says it's okay. Um, and then kind of out of the blue, the PayPal executive gets up there and announces to the world that he's running something like 20, 25% of his infrastructure um, on, uh, I guess, on OpenStack and, and, mm-hmm. or OpenShift. So cool. Super exciting. Um, yeah. One of the things I noticed there was a mis- I don't want to say that there was a mistake in the video, but he was, he was uh, the, the lady that was interviewing him, uh, she said that, oh, you could run, but you could only run OpenShift on OpenStack, uh, where he was talking about, well, we have a VMware environment, and we have an OpenStack environment, and, pe- and developers could go um, run on one or the other, and it doesn't, you know, it's whatever they want to use, it's it's good for them. Um, but but she asked, well, do, you know, well, you can only run OpenShift on uh, OpenStack, and that's actually not the case. It it can run on Rev, it can run on VMware, it can run in a variety of places. Uh, so it could run in even there, even, even bare metal if you liked. Absolutely. Which is which is what the which is what the Dista Stacks program is doing. Yeah. Cool. Um, and so, how did they, did he talk about how it's being used at all? Um, yeah, like is there was for the production systems, or or is it just like a toy, like test development, or? Well, the video it talks a lot about. It, it was more than just OpenShift. There was he was talking a good bit about you know they're using VMware, they're using OpenStack, um, and you know they're they're using the clouds. The big thing that he was saying is that the problem that he sees with infrastructure as a service is that yeah the the developer will get a, v, uh, a VM but it's still up to the developer to load the application software on it and patch the system and everything and and that's why uh, he really likes 
OpenShift because in minutes they could be up and running with a, a fully connected container and they're off and developing. So their developers can focus more on writing code instead of, um, as, as uh, you may say, the yak shaving of uh, <laughs> installing an operating system and patching it and maintaining it and all those other distractions. That's so cool. That's great. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, and it's nice to be able to show that customers are, in fact, using this. It's not just uh, like hypothetical or like marketing stuff on our part, like that people are actually, in fact, finding it as useful as we say it is. Um, that's yeah. really cool. That's great. Um, and we had good news from a, from a partner of ours, uh, Cloud9. Uh, who yeah. had, they have this like really cool uh, kind of web-based development environment. It's like a, a development like IDE up in a cloud. Um, sort of like, like Scratch for adults. Yeah, 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 right, exactly. Uh, scratch for, well, super nerdy adults. Um, yeah. And uh, and so they've uh, they recently wired up uh, OpenShift, so you can actually write your entire app online through like, a web browser and then hit deploy, and it will deploy off into OpenShift, which means nice. that you can write the whole app and deploy it and run it without it ever actually, the, the, the code never actually lives on any of your machines, um, mm. which is really cool. That's great. Nice. I wonder if they have an. I wonder if they have an offline mode so you could like write on, you know, like do your coding on an airplane or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Or is uh, like a like a Git checkout thing that you could temporarily do that. I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I don't know. Um, and then we got some we got some summit stuff too, right? Mm-hmm. We got some some summit mop up that we get. <laughs> so we had the Red Hat Summit, which is our big user conference um, earlier this month. And uh, we actually had an open item. Uh, our, our good friend Wayman uh, had asked us a while back about what happened, what announcements there were with the uh, Red Hat satellite product over at Summit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dave and I were, well, Dave, you and, you and I were talking uh, before we started recording and uh, realized that neither of us had made it to the satellite sessions. Uh, and so in this way, failed Wayman. Yes. Um, but, we have good, but we have good news. Yep. So, so bad news, we didn't get to see the satellite sessions. The good news is that uh, today, uh, when we're recording, which is Thursday the 27th, um, the uh, videos uh, from all the sessions at Summit are up on the Red Hat customer portal. So if you missed Summit this year, uh, you can go into the customer portal and go and see all the sessions that you missed. Yeah. Well, they, they didn't video record all of them, but... Oh, the, that's right. The, that's right. Yeah. The most yeah. popular ones and... And I think they're going to try doing more and more. It's like I would love to see us to, um, and I, I'd love feedback on this too. As, as somebody who participates a lot in with the Red Hat Summit selection and planning, um, would customers be willing to pay to attend the summit online and stream everything? Because knowing how like budget cuts are cut, um, mm-hmm. you know, would and and it does cost money for us to pay a video person and internet bandwidth to be able to live stream a conference. Would people be willing to pay that and not have to travel? I, I know you would. One of the big draws of the summit is getting to socialize with folks in engineering, but still, right. for those with travel restrictions, would would that be attractive if we would be able to cost effectively offer that? Right, right, and 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 it would be great too to probably have some add some ability to interact with the presenters um, so that, you know, not a huge yeah. difference between watching it live and then watching the video after the fact. Um, but if you could, you know, if you could be watching it live and then like hit the presenters up on Twitter or something um, mm-hmm. or on IRC, uh, that would be interesting. Um, that's how we do our company meetings, right? Uh, yeah. Well, actually, in, in the uh, customer portal, there's a way for each of the entries you could put comments as as a user of the customer mm-hmm. portal. So mm-hmm. like I have a bunch of video series in the customer portal on MC Linux and I you know and I subscribe to them and, and as as you know I'm associated as an author of the content. Um, so anytime somebody says that oh this is awesome or hey this stunk um, I, I get a notification or people can tell me when there's a mistake. Um, mm-hmm. so it's that's uh, it, it's gratifying to see you know people liking it but it's also good getting feedback so I can make improvements for next time. Yeah, sure. And, sure. and so that could be another way that the author of the content can get. Um, I, I don't know if we're, we're doing that for all the authors or not, but that I think that should be something we should try to do. Yeah, that's yeah, actually, that does sound good. All right, yeah. Cool. Um, and I know that Major, hey, Major, how you doing? 
Um, yeah. I saw Major already... Uh, uh, we only announced this like a few hours ago, and Major has already enjoyed the uh, System D presentation, yeah. um, which I know he was interested in uh, from our interview, uh, I guess number 17. Yeah, I'm going to have to take like a week of vacation to watch all these videos. <laughs> For real. To, to get caught up, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, let's see... Oh, and I see we got a note here on OpenSCAP. Uh, Dave, remember we had the, one of the Red Hat employees had put open, he actually took OpenSCAP, um, mm-hmm. which is the security guidance tool, security uh, auditing tool, um, and he actually integrated it with the installer, integrated it with Anaconda. Yep. Um, yeah, so that, that, for, a, for his master's thesis. Yep. yep, and that's now actually a for real Fedora project. Nice. Yep, yep. So we'll include a link to that in the, uh, in the show notes. Yeah. Cool. Right. So, so what the, you were saying earlier that you were smoking funny cigarettes? Did they legalize something in Austin and I didn't hear about it? Or well, it's, it's, it, you got to be careful with the language. It's a decriminalized. Okay. It's not legalized. Decriminalized. So what I'm, what I'm, and of course, uh, what I'm talking about is uh, something that I thought was ridiculous. Uh, it sounded silly until I actually started using it, and it's. Uh, it, Dave, you heard of an electronic cigarette? Oh yeah. So I've been a I've been a smoker for twenty years, which means I've been trying to quit smoking for nineteen years. And uh, I, you know, the way my brain is wired, or maybe I'm, uh, I don't know, for a bunch of reasons, I find it extremely difficult to uh, to quit. But um, I recently transitioned uh, into I think mostly because we were moving into this new house and wanted to kind of turn over a new leaf. Uh, transitioned over to these uh, electronic cigarettes, which look precisely like a real cigarette um Mm -hmm. and but the difference is that it is a battery and a packet of nicotine so uh you can imagine a cigarette the white part of the cigarette which is like the um the kind of tobacco part of the cigarette um Mm -hmm. is a battery which Mm -hmm. screws into a usb (laughs) usb device uh for charging um and uh, and then the brown part of the cigarette, like the filter part of the business end, uh, is is where the nicotine is held. Um, and so at, when you draw uh, uh, air through the device, uh, it I guess uh, vaporizes the nicotine, uh, and then all that delicious uh, nicotine goes into my lungs. And so obviously not ideal, not great, uh, but certainly better than burning leaves uh, and inhaling the smoke. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, it's not doing anything for my addiction, but it's uh, it's what we call harm reduction. So, yeah. I, so I'm, I'm doing a little harm reduction. But uh, the reason why I mention it on the show is because one of our favorite words is skeuomorphism. Mm-hmm. And this is a perfect example of skeuomorphism. Uh, they've even created a fake little ash uh, out of gray plastic on the top of the electronic cigarette. And when you draw, uh, when you draw breath through the cigarette... Uh, there's a little red LED inside which lights up uh, as if it were uh, as if it were the uh, uh, the a burning ember uh, mm. on the top of the cigarette. Um, so it's very very close to an actual cigarette experience. Yeah. So I've I've talked to people that that do the electronic cigarettes and mm-hmm. how like culturally like he he tells me that it's people culturally like they still. Like if he's in a restaurant or something, even though it's just water vapor that he's exhaling, people just get mm-hmm. all wigged out, and they're more. It's true. Uh, yeah, it's like they're upset yeah. that I don't know if it's like you're setting a bad example, or it's the perception that you might be doing something. But you know how how like or do you do you still stand outside a building and you know a couple hundred feet away? Here's to, to the, here's the crazy or? thing. I feel like I yes I do. It, I, it's a little bit goofy, but. Um, you know, I was, I took my first flight armed with one of these electronic cigarettes and I sit down in the airplane and I'm like, Oh, I could use a cigarette. I'm like, oh, I could actually light up right here. There's actually no law that tells me I can't light up in here. But the, the, the social pressure, right? I, I, yeah. the, well, actually there's, so there's two parts of it. One part is, um, not wanting to break the rules, even though I'm not actually breaking any rules. And I think the skeuomorphism has a lot to do with that. Right. Yep. Um, I have, uh, if I think it was a patch, you wouldn't have a problem. Exactly. Um, uh, But the other part of that is, uh, is not wanting to have the conversation with somebody where they tell you to stop smoking and then you have to explain to them that it's just water vapor. Um, That seems super tedious and I I would rather avoid that conversation entirely. So perversely, 
in order to get my nicotine fix, I now actually go to the smoking section uh, of an airport. Uh, you know, the little benches, you know, outside the terminal. Um, I actually treat it as though I were smoking a real cigarette still. So um, still not fully integrated with the rest of healthy society, but uh, this is uh, one step closer, I feel. Nah, nah. But you're getting secondhand smoke, though. Well, again, uh, harm reduction, right? Uh, you know, it's uh, going from first-hand smoke to second-hand smoke. Maybe that's one, just... One step maybe at that, a time. One step at a time. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Let's see. So speaking of gadgets, Dave, you got a Nexus 7, right? Yeah, I got. I, I, I treated myself to one uh, a couple of weeks ago. So it's. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. I had a Nook Color that mm-hmm. uh, Lauren and I, we both have Nook Colors, and we, we put... Uh, cyanogen on them and everything it was a nice christmas project we did and mm-hmm. uh but for me it was just getting slow and, and 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 but the nexus 7 that i have uh seems like i don't know if they're liquidating inventory to make way for a new uh nexus 7 uh, but i got a heck of a deal on one so was, i'm really liking it and awesome. you have one too right i yeah i got i i, I have one and i love it in fact i when I received it, I already had an Android tablet, like a full-size, you know, 10-inch. Actually, it was the Asus Transformer. It was the kind where you can actually take the tablet and drop it into, like, a keyboard case. Mm-hmm. So you could treat it like a laptop if you wanted. Um, I loved it. Uh, but then I got this Nexus 7, which I thought was like a toy. I was like, what a goofy form factor. There's no way I'm ever going to use this. Uh, fast forward two weeks later and uh, hadn't touched the Transformer um, and was only using the, uh, the 7-inch tablet. It's just so portable and, and so much easier to hold in your hand. Um, I love it. Uh, I think yeah. it's uh, I think it's great. Did you get the version with the radio in it, or does it only have the Wi-Fi? It's just Wi-Fi. That's all I yeah. need. I, yeah, it's, I, yeah I, I, it's it's not killing me that I don't have it, but it would sure would be nice sometimes to be able to to pull it up and start using it without you know needing a, a Wi-Fi connection. Um, yeah. Or draining you know, draining the battery on my cellular phone to uh, to give it a Wi-Fi connection. That'd be kind of nice. Uh, oh, sorry, I gotta sneeze. Hold on one second. You know how to stop that? No. No, say I the, don't. Say the word orange. Orange. Yeah. Uh, no, oh. You're not going to sneeze. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. How does, that, yeah. how, does that, how does that work? I don't know. Um, but I do know that it works. <laughs> so, and, so, this, so now we're, we've come full circle, and, and we've gone, now we're back into uh, motorcycle tips. So, um, so if you're like me, who rides a motorcycle and wears a full-face helmet, you, you don't want to, or, or you're an astronaut and you wear a full-face helmet, um, and you don't want to sneeze, because that would just make a big mess if you're, like, going, you know, at highway yes. speeds or faster. You know, it's just... Con- it's contraindicated. Just, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, yeah, uh, it's not safe either. But I've, I've learned, and someone, I, I don't know where I learned this, but uh, if... if if you have to sneeze and you don't want to, like you're on the phone or you're in a spaceship or a spacewalk or whatever, um, say the word orange and more than likely you, you won't sneeze. And people, I, like, I don't know if it's because of just the vowels and consonants and that combination that it prevents it from happening, but mm-hmm. um, I found that uh, it works for me. And I did an internet search to see if orange is the only word that works and other people recommend the words uh pickle pineapple watermelon and uh cucumber um and and there may be others so if if people want to try out uh sneezing and trying some different words and letting us know we'll we'll add them Um, so only only fruits well pickle is not a fruit pickle has seeds pickle has seeds pickle could be a fruit well pickle is a cucumber yes yes is it a fruit no i guess not I, I thought it was only. Oh, I'm confused. Man, I'm not doing well on these lessons learned today. Jeez. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I know there's a lot of debates about tomatoes, but yeah. I guess yeah. Cucumbers not. Yeah. That's. Okay. All right. Yeah. So. Gonna... So. But the the interesting the other thing about orange I don't know if you know this is that there is no word in normal word in the regular English language that rhymes with orange. Uh, I know somebody who disagrees. Who? Uh, r- rap artist uh, Eminem. He really? disagrees. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I guess what else we got? Oh, how was the? Uh, well, I guess you had the FCA event, right? You've yep. been you've been planning. You, that's the thing that's been. <laughs> that's the <laughs> event that brought. The, that's the event that brought you and Sweater Woman together. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, my wife is going to hear this, and she's going <laughs> to is Sweater Woman? And, and I don't know. I'm going to have an ankle bracelet. She'll be trying to <laughs> um, Yeah, but uh, no, that, uh, that FCO DC event, um, it happened last week, and that's the event that I've been coming to DC for just about every week uh, since like late February. And so mm-hmm. finally we had the Merging Technologies event, and it really went great. Um, I had... One of the interesting things, though, was that uh, I was all set to have the CTO of the uh, NSA sit on our breakout on cloud computing, and um, you know, due to current events, he, he couldn't make it. And so, um, fortunately, one of our uh, advocates for the Emerging Technology Symposium, Gus Hunt, who's the CTO of the CIA, he's like, oh, I'll do it. Um, and I'm like, Okay then, and it, it's, it was awesome. So it's like I, I uh, uh, had him on the breakout, and I also had um, uh, Roger Kuhn from the uh, Office of Naval Research on there too. So it was, it was a great thing, and then um, so it was really cool. And then uh, the other thing is like yesterday we had that defense in depth event where oh yeah uh, yeah so that was you know everybody was you know, we were posting on the GovSec mailing list, and you know we we had uh, well over a hundred people there um and and every you know every time you know like sean was there uh sean wells was talking about scap we had uh dan walsh talking about se linux where um one of his quotes was it uh if if you're disabling se linux you're unpatriotic um (laughs) his rhetoric his rhetoric it just gets kind of there's more and more hyperbole in this i think him and major are good together (laughs) and well after he was like he he presented it was like he presented his same session like three times and it was three two-hour slots plus he sat down on the lunch panel with me and wow. so you, you can imagine by the end he was he was um punchy <laughs> yeah yeah and and so it was but it was great i'm you know and steve grubb was there uh talking about uh how we're doing common criteria and how to write secure software and then um and on my lunchtime panel uh again we were supposed to have some folks from the nsa sit on my panel um, and and they unfortunately they couldn't make it, uh, but the fortunate thing was uh, we had the the guys that were speaking. So we had Dan and Sean and and uh, uh, Steve Grubb sit in on the panel, and and we had uh, uh, David uh, uh, Wintermere uh, Wintermere from uh, NIST sit down on the panel. And the really cool thing is I, I told David that oh man, well it's like we're the customers uh they can't make it and everything and he's like well you know what i actually i asked and i found uh somebody from uh dhs would you mind if if they sat in on the panel and i'm like no no problem please it it would be great and it wound up that it was uh um let's see here uh yeah sarah mosley from uh um who's like uh uh, a section chief uh from department of homeland security and or a branch chief and mm-hmm. so it was, and, and she, I talked to her, and she's like, oh, I'm all excited about doing it. And, uh, but it was, like, last minute, and we couldn't, and she had to have, like, a seven-day approval window uh, to get the, the, their public affairs people to allow her to speak in public. And, mm-hmm. and they denied the request. So, in, and you can imagine, this is like a, a fourth-and-goal situation where we're trying to get her over the goal line. And, and right. it's like, oh, we didn't make it. But she still came to the event, and she sat in the in the front row, and she's like, "Well, hey, if anybody has any questions on FedRAMP, I, I can't speak in a capacity in terms of DHS, but I can speak as a citizen." And she was like, "They're willing to help." So um, it, it was just an amazing event to you know. It's like some you know we were talking about it, you know asking people for help and stuff. Uh, it it is amazing when when you're surrounded by people that are willing to help it. You know, sometimes you need help, but whenever people are there, there to help, it just makes me step my game up a lot more. And makes it's just really energizing. Yeah, it's, it, it, help is. So I think what, what I was going to ask you is like, how do you how do you make yourself available to for help like that, right? Because um, I know there's some people who I am probably not inclined to help because I feel like they don't need it, maybe necessarily. Um, and hearing your story, I'm thinking about like, well, that's probably. That's probably not true. Like if I was, you know, if I was a DHS branch chief, 
um, and I was attending this Red Hat security event, I would be like, well, these guys have this whole event planned and they probably don't need, you know, they don't need me butting in. Um, even though I'm willing to help, I'm not going to necessarily volunteer it. So do you think you did anything in particular to make sure that people knew that you needed help? Um, or did, like, was it just a matter of asking for it? Or did you, you know, maybe yeah. I'm overthinking about like creating an environment where people feel like they can volunteer f to help you? Yeah, and, and well, in the case of uh, with uh, Sarah from DHS, um, you know, it's like I didn't even ask for help from uh, from Dave Wintermere, and and but it was a thing that it's like he and I talked uh, before the panel, and I was expressing it's like, oh man, it's you know we're having these problems, and and uh, and we developed this really good report, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I think part of it is and, and is you know it's I, I got lucky in this case. Um, it, but then the other part is, you know, all you have to do is ask it whenever you can. Like in the case of the ASEA show, um, when the NSA couldn't do it, the folks, you know, we started asking people uh, on the ASEA team. And, uh, you know, if you ask people, all you have to do is ask. And that, that goes back to um, uh, Randy Pausch, uh, the last lecture. Um, right. And, you know, that where it's like, it doesn't hurt that, you know, if you need something, you know, ask for it. And, but the other side of it is, um, I always try to pay it forward, uh, where you know, mm -hmm. I, you know, somebody asks for help, I'm there helping, and yeah. and you know, it's whether it's you know internally on the mailing list or or whatever. It's like I, I know that someday you know I'm going to need help, and it's like I'm going to treat people the way you know. It's uh, someday I'm going to be in a pickle, and hopefully, yeah, uh, you know, people will will rally and respond to me in the same way that I've helped them, and I, I've seen that come full circle as well, where you know, it's like. Uh, you know, it's, I'm always trying to help people wherever I can. Yeah. Well, and, and Dave, I don't know if you know this, but you're actually famous for that, um, inside Red Hat is you know, being helpful. Um, which, which I think you're right. It actually makes people more likely to help you. Um, seems yeah. like a basic kind of Sesame street kind of lesson, but I think it's, um, uh, I think it really is. It's just a, it's a truism. Um, and, and what's interesting to me is this notion of, uh, help is, so for a bunch of reasons, it's important, even in a business setting, to be able to trust someone else. Mm -hmm. um, and, I th and I think that help or being able to help someone and having them help you is a kind of a currency that links the two of you together and, increase, and increases the trust, right? Um, every, time, every time you help someone, it could be something small like, you know, lend them a pen or, you know, review a document for them. Um, that becomes, that is like the stuff of a trusting relationship, right? Um, and it's those trusting relationships which end up, <laughs> haha, helping, um, you know, in our careers um, and with uh, you know with us accomplishing our respective missions. Yeah. Well, another trick, you know, I'll, I'll tell new solutions architects um, that, that I'll do like on our internal tech mailing list is I, I will I will sacrifice myself on on email lists, where mm -hmm. um, like like I know um, sometimes very very heavy-duty technical mailing lists and you know where you know a lot of times the solutions architects go for help and uh, you know the one is is techless but uh, and I'll go there and ask for help and I'll, I will actually offer myself up as a sacrifice in some cases um, but but you've had an experience on on techless though with with a uh, Linux celebrity haven't you yeah Alan Cox who's kind of the second-in-command of the Linux kernel uh, early in my career right had I was second or third week I think I had asked some question which was dumb it was a dumb question and just got smacked by alan cox um publicly, publicly like in front of god and everybody um and this is the kind of let's call this an anti-pattern for help uh, let's call this maybe not how it's supposed to work but it really like it had a lasting effect like i was actually uh, i i not that I ran into him, you know, every day, but I actually like avoided interacting with him. And every time I saw his name on the mailing list, I kind of like got a little red in the face and, and embarrassed. Um, yeah. It's and I'm sure he thought nothing of it. And, and in fact, in my memory of it, I'm probably exaggerating, you know, how bad it was. Um, mm -hmm. But it was that sense of shame or embarrassment. Uh, really, you know, it lasts for for a long time. Um, and so, again, you know, an anti-pattern. Like, if if you're in the business of help or want to receive help from other people, uh, you need to make sure that they are they feel like you're available for help, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, but what happens for me though is that I, you know, and I'll tell new solutions architects this is that a lot of times, like if you ask a dumb question, uh, you know, you ask a dumb question, and mm-hmm. um, sometimes, like these highly technical people will just totally ignore it, mm-hmm. and and you know, it's like, and it's you know, no offense, but it's like now I'm not even going to waste my time answering it. And so what I will do with say like the new SA that asks a question or something. Even though I may not know the answer completely, I'll answer the uh, the question like seventy percent correct. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it creates this tipping point for you know, like you know how like a lot of times developers just being obsessive compulsive like I am, um, <laughs> I know that, that that would just drive me nuts. You yeah. know where where it's like, well, Dave, let me tell you why you're wrong, and then then you'll act. So the the guy that you're hoping to get the answer from will give you the right answer. Uh, but it's only because I put a mostly correct answer out there for them to build upon. Right. right and that, right. that's like really, really effective whenever you're, you know, whenever I'm dealing with uh, uh, some engineering folks that are, you know, it's like sometimes it's, it's you got to ask the question the right way that makes it easy for them to answer. And sometimes if you can give them a mostly correct answer, they, they relish the opportunity to correct you. <laughs> right. It's like throwing chum in the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, cool. Uh, what do you say, Dave? I know you probably you're ready to go. You're ready to you're ready to turn in at this point, right? right? Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. I'm pooped. All right, cool. Um, well, thanks, Dave. That was, that was a great show. Yeah. I'm really happy with how that went. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, well, thanks for listening, everybody, Dave. Uh, if people want to, we actually solicited a bunch of comments on this show, um, like three or four times. Uh, we uh, threw some chum in the water. Um, yep. Dave, if people want to eat our chum, uh, where should they go? And, and they could, while they're eating the chum, they could see me a picture of me on a motorcycle. <laughs> that's um, right. That's right. <laughs> maybe ruin their appetite. I don't know. But, um, for chum, but it's uh, yeah, they want to go to dgshow.org. Says D's and Dave, G's and Gunner. Show.org. Awesome. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>